What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, last week we looked at what Paul had to share with us concerning the relationship between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, which, you know, both groups came from very different backgrounds, races, nationalities, social statuses, cultures. Uh, So there was a lot of differences between those groups. And we noted that when you come together in the body of Christ from those differences, it can oftentimes be very difficult to have fellowship and unity. And so Paul shares with us and challenged us in five practical things that we can do to really help uh, the unity come together, especially when we're having so many differences that we have to overcome. Um, But, you know, something else that we need to recognize this morning, it is also hard to minister to people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different social statuses, from different races. But that's exactly what Paul has been doing for years. He's been ministering to the Gentiles, you know, a group of people that are very different uh, in a background that's very different from his own. Uh, And in this section, Paul's going to share with us four philosophies that he has that helps him to effectively minister to the Gentiles, but really effectively ministering to people who are coming from a different background, who are coming from a different nationality, who have these differences than him, but yet he's able to effectively minister to them. And I think what he's going to share with us is a great challenge to each one of us so that we can be more effective in ministering to people in general, but also recognizing that, you know, when it is hard, because we do have, you know, Houston's very diverse and we have people from all sorts of different backgrounds here, you know, that we can be effective in ministering to people who are different than we are. Now, before we look at what Paul shares about his relationship with the Gentiles, his ministry towards the Gentiles, his philosophy of how to effectively reach them, let's remember something very important. God is the one who called Paul to reach the Gentiles. I'm sure if it was up to Paul and he gets saved and God says, whatever you want to do, whoever you want to reach, who's it going to be? It would have been the Jews. He had this passion for the Jews, but yet God says, you know what, Paul? I'm calling you to go reach the Gentiles, to go reach this group of people who is very different from you. And I find this very interesting because Paul was about as Jewish as you could be. He studied under the famous rabbi Gamaliel in his day. He rose up in the ranks of Judaism faster than anyone else. And in the book of Philippians, he shares a little bit about his credentials in Judaism. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
When Paul was in Judaism, he was the poster boy of Judaism. He was the man among the Jews. He was the one that parents hoped that their sons grew up to be like Paul. I mean, he was the guy that when they looked at, this is what is an example of what we want to see in Judaism. Be like him. So from a human's perspective, Paul is the perfect candidate to reach the Jews. He grew up in their schools. He was trained under their famous rabbis. He knew what they believed. They could know that he knew where they were coming from. He was zealous. But God didn't send Paul to the Jews. And send God, God sends the, the most unlikely of candidates. God sends Peter, an uneducated fisherman, hadn't been in their schools, hadn't been a part of their religious system, wouldn't have had the respect from them. You know, but what I love about this is the fact that God chooses Paul to go to Gentiles and Peter go to Jews is that God chooses to do things differently than we would. You know, we sit back and think, man, Paul, you're the perfect guy to reach the Jews. And if, you know, we would have come up with our missionary plan, Paul, you're the guy, you're going to them. God says, no, that's not how I'm going to do it. Paul, God uses people that we would never think of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 26 through 29, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. God loves to choose people and to use people that this world would never think to use. It, that goes against kind of the human wisdom of the world where we would say, Paul, you're perfect to reach the Jews. And God says, no, Paul, I'm sending you to reach the Gentiles. And one of the reasons that God chooses weak people in the world's eyes and, and foolish people in the world's eyes is ultimately because God wants the glory. God wants people to look at you and look at me and say, that's a work of God. God is the one doing that. It's not them. They're not so wonderful. They're not so great. God is so wonderful. God is so great. And God ultimately gets the glory. You know, I hope this is an encouragement to you because it definitely is to me. Because so often we think, you know, God couldn't use me to reach this group of people. Or God couldn't use me to do this thing because I don't have the education or I don't have the background or I don't have the ability or I don't have this, that, or the next thing that the world tells me I need to have in order to be able to do this. But you might be exactly what God is looking for. Because God doesn't choose the way that the world does. God doesn't base things on the way that the world bases things on. I mean, look at the disciples of Jesus. Look at the 12 that he chose to use. I mean, none of these guys were exceptional people that the world would be like, hey, they're the educated ones. They're the ones that I would choose. I mean, these guys were fishermen. These guys were tax collectors. These guys were zealots. These guys were constantly arguing about which one of them would be the greatest. I mean, they're not the, the cream of the crop that the world would say, hey, let's use them. But yet God was able to do amazing things through them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he can do amazing things through you and me, through the power of the Holy Spirit as well. So Paul, he's a man who's highly involved in Judaism, yet God calls him to reach the Gentiles. And I want you to notice something very important about Paul's ministry. Paul didn't allow the fact that he was Jewish. 
The fact that he was from a different background, a different race, a different nationality, from many people, a different social status, different culture. He didn't allow any of that to keep him from reaching out and ministering to Gentiles. You know, last week we noted that Paul shared that one of the ways to overcome different backgrounds between Christians is to focus what we have in common. And that's our commonality in Christ. That's the main thing that's really going to bring unity is to get rid of the fact that we're focusing on we're different races from different cultures and different backgrounds. And let's focus on the fact of what we have in common in Christ, what Christ has done for us. But you know what? As Christians, we often struggle with reaching out to people from a different background than us. We think, you know what, i got to have all this in common with them. If, I don't, if I'm not from the same race or nationality or culture or background, I'll never be able to reach them. I'll never be able to minister to them. But that's not true. You don't have to have the same background. You don't have the same social status. You don't have the same race or nationality or cultural background. All you need to do is be willing to share the gospel with them. Something important to understand about the gospel, it's the same message to every culture. It has the same power with every group. It's not, well, you know, I can share it with my group that I'm like and they'll receive it. No, anyone who's willing to share the message of the gospel to any group of people, the gospel has the power to change them. Because God loves the entire world. Every culture, every person, He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, for all these people. So it doesn't matter where they're coming from, what their background is. You know, Paul started this letter sharing a very important truth about the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God to whom Everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile, including everyone, it has power to save people. And so if we're willing to proclaim it, if we're willing to share it, it doesn't matter how different the culture is, how different people are from us, what their background is, the gospel has the power to save them. For those who went on our mission trip to Kenya... Man, we were ministering to people from a very different background, a very different culture, different race, different upbringing, different social status. I mean, pretty much every category was different than us, but yet we shared the good news of the gospel. And over 2,000 of them received it and got saved because the good news of the gospel has the power to reach people no matter what the differences we have. So in this section on Paul's relationship to the Gentiles, he's going to share with us four philosophies that he has on reaching the Gentiles, which are people from a different background and a different culture. And before he shares with us these four philosophies, he's going to share a little uh, to the Roman believers about why he wrote this letter to them in verses 14 through 16. It says this, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." So Paul starts off sharing three things about these Roman believers that he was writing to. He says, hey, they're full of goodness, they're filled with all knowledge, and they're able to admonish one another. 
So the church there in Rome, they had a lot of good things going on. Those believers had a lot of things going well for them. And Paul says, you know what, but nevertheless, you got these good things going, but nevertheless, I have written more boldly to you on some points. Now, as we've gone through this letter, we've seen that it's a letter full of boldness. Paul has shared some bold truths with these Roman believers, and he gives us two main reasons for why he has written these things to them. First, he wrote boldly to them to remind them of these things. Paul realized the importance of being reminded. Hey, you guys are doing really well. You know a lot of things. That's great, but you still need to be reminded of these biblical truths. You still need to be reminded of these things so that you don't forget them, so that you don't stop doing them. And as believers, this is something that's so important. We see it throughout Scripture of constant reminders because the reality is we forget If you're anything like me, you forget things. You you remember things that you don't want to remember, and you forget the things that you want to remember. And sadly, oftentimes, it's the truths of the Word of God that we forget, and it's the foolish things that we don't want to remember that we do remember. I remember when I was 10, our church had this tap-dancing group that sang these silly songs, and still to this day, I remember those stupid songs, and I want them out of my head. I want that memory erased from my life, but yet I can't get it out. And there are verses that I want to remember that I don't remember, and I don't know why that is. But I do know we need to be reminded of biblical truth because we so often forget. And Paul recognized that and says, hey, I'm writing this to you because I want to remind you of these things. The second reason that Paul wrote so boldly was because of the grace given to him by God that he might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God called Paul to be a minister to the Gentiles, to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And so Paul wrote boldly to the church in Rome because he wanted to be a good minister to them so that the Gentiles could be accepted and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul recognizes, hey, this is a church full of Gentiles, and I want to be effective in the ministry that God has given to me. Well, now in the rest of this section, Paul's going to share with us four philosophies of ministry for effectively reaching the Gentiles. And for us, as we look at this, this is really just philosophies of ministry for reaching people different than us, reaching people from different cultures, different backgrounds. And it would work reaching people from your same culture and same background as well. Verse 17 and 18 says this, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God, for I will dare not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Paul's first ministry philosophy toward the Gentiles, towards those of a different background, was he only spoke of what Christ did in and through them to reach the Gentiles in word and deed and mighty signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's focus was what Jesus did through him, not what he did. He realized without Jesus, he could do nothing. All these things that he accomplished among the Gentiles wasn't about Paul's greatness, wasn't about Paul's skill, wasn't about Paul's strength, Paul's wisdom. It was all about what Jesus was able to do. So Paul didn't go around saying, hey, look at all the people that I've reached. 
I've been on three missionary journeys, and in this city I reached this many, and in that city I reached that many, and look at all that I have done. Aren't I so amazing and wonderful? He said, I dare not speak of anything that Christ has not accomplished through me. I just speak of the things that Jesus is doing. I give Him glory. I focus on Him. I don't focus on me. Kent Hughes said this about this. He gives a clever little example of how we so often are not like Paul was. Paul preached the gospel to many people in many places, but Paul takes no credit. Christ did it through him. How contrary this is to the way things usually happen. More often we're like the little leaguer who put all his 60 pounds into a ferocious swing and barely connected. The ball scraped by the bottom of the bat, jiggled straight past the pitcher who groped and fumbled it. There was still plenty of time to nail the batter at first, but the pitcher's throw soared high over the first baseman's head. The slugger flew on to second base. Somebody retrieved the ball. The next throw sailed widely into left field. The hitter swaggered into third, puffing along with a man-sized grin, then continued on to cross home plate. Oh boy, he said. That's the first home run I've ever hit in my whole life. That's so like us. We step to the plate for Jesus, barely tip the ball, but He arranges us to get home, and we take all the credit. This is sadly a reality for us so often in the world. Like Jesus does everything. The Holy Spirit moves, and you know, all this stuff happens in and through our life, and then we stand back and say, look what I've done. And so, no, no, look what He's done. Not taking credit for the things that God has done is such an important mindset to have when you're involved in ministering to people. Paul's first ministry philosophy on how to minister to the Gentiles was never take credit for what Jesus does in and through you to reach others. Never take credit for what Jesus does in and through you to reach others. You know, this is one of the biggest things that hinders people in ministry. When they lose sight of the fact that it's all about God and the work that He's doing, not about me. And they lose sight about the fact that God needs to be exalted. People need to be pointed to Him. People need to be pointed to what He's doing, not to me. Pride oftentimes sets in. Arrogance sets in. And all of a sudden, it's all about me. The ministry is all about me. And I want everyone to see how great I am. And that's one of the best ways to destroy any ministry that God's doing in your life. Because God wants the glory. And if you're going to step in there and take it from Him... There's going to be lots of problems that come from that. William Barclay said this, Paul saw himself in the scheme of things as an instrument in the hands of Christ. He did not talk of what he had done, but of what Christ had done with him. He never said of anything, I did it. He always said, Christ used me to do it. It is told of the change in the life of D.L. Moody came when he went to a meeting and heard a preacher say, if only one man would give himself entirely and without reserve to the Holy Spirit, what that spirit might do with him. Moody said to himself, why should I not be that man? And all the world knows what the Spirit of God did with D.L. Moody. It is when a man ceases to think of what he can do and begins to think of what God can do with him that things begin to happen. 
Well, when we cease to think of what we can do, when we cease to think of how people can exalt us, and, and we focus on what God can do, and we focus on pointing people to God and giving glory to God, that's when things truly start to happen in and through our lives to others. Paul understood this very important truth. God's the one that should receive the glory. And so I'm never going to take that. I'm never going to be someone who tries to steal God's glory and take credit for it for myself. The second philosophy that Paul had in ministering to the Gentiles is verse 19 through 21. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about till Elikram, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Notice Paul says, I made it my aim, my my purpose to preach the gospel in places where people have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ because he did not want to build on another's man's foundation. Paul said, hey, you know what? I don't want to go where the gospel is already being preached. Let that person continue there. Let me go where it's not. Let me go to the people who haven't heard it. That was his heart's desire. I want to get the gospel to as many people who haven't heard it as I can. And he shares an amazing statement about the drive in himself that God had given him in verse 19. From Jerusalem and round about Elikram, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Here's a, a map of Paul's three missionary journeys. And you can see those two places that he speaks of. And in between them, he says, I I fully preach the gospel of Christ. And those lines there are the three missionary journeys that Paul took. And he went to all those places, city after city, town after town, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And for many of those cities and towns, that was the first person to ever come and share the gospel, the first time that people got to hear the good news of Christ. Paul's second philosophy on how to minister to the Gentiles was to preach the gospel in places where it hasn't been preached yet. Paul's heart was to get the gospel to unreached people groups, to those people from a different background than he had, and that should be our heart as well. We will have a heart to say, I want to give the gospel to people who haven't heard it. I want to share it to people who don't know it. And the reality is, you know what? We don't need to travel all across the world for that to happen. Because there's plenty of people right here that don't know and haven't heard the gospel. People that we work with, go to school with, live with, friends with, family to. We have many people in our lives that haven't heard the gospel, and do we have that heart that says, I want to be that person who goes and proclaims the good news to those who haven't heard it. Paul was able to say, from Jerusalem and round about Elikram, I have fully preached the gospel. Wouldn't it be great if we could say, I have fully preached the gospel to everyone in my family? I fully preach the gospel to all of my friends. I fully preach the gospel to all of my coworkers, to all of my students in my class, to all of my neighbors, to all of the people that God brings into my path. 
Well, that comes with this desire, this heart that says, you know what? I want to be that person that brings the gospel to people who haven't heard it. The third philosophy Paul had in ministering to the Gentiles is in verses 22 to 29. It says this, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are in their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed, this, sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. In these verses, Paul shares his past and present travel plans. And he gives us the reason why he has made these travel plans, why he has chosen to do the things that he's chosen to do, and why he's chosen to go the places that he's chosen to go. And he starts off by sharing his past travel plans, telling the believers in Rome, hey, there's a reason I haven't come here yet. As we started this letter, remember, Paul has not been to Rome. Most of the letters he writes, he's writing to churches that he started. He's already been there. Rome wasn't one of those places. He's not been there yet. And so they're probably wondering, hey, you've gone all these other places. How come you haven't come to see us? Well, now he's going to tell them, here's the reason I haven't yet come to visit you guys. It's not because I don't like you. It's not because I don't want to be there. The reason Paul hasn't come to Rome was because of his ministry philosophy to preach the gospel in places that haven't had it preached yet. Guess what? The gospel's already been preached in Rome. That's why there are these churches there. That's why you know, they have all these believers. So Paul's saying, hey, I haven't come to Rome because other people came to Rome and proclaimed the gospel there. And so I've been going to other places where the gospel has yet to be preached. And that's why I haven't come to you guys. But now after sharing the gospel in all these places that didn't have the gospel, now it's my desire to come and visit you in Rome. And I want to do that on my new journey. I have a future plan, and that's a plan to go to Spain. I've gone to you know, the outskirts of the Roman Empire on the uh, eastern side, and now I want to go to the outskirts on the western side as well. And he says, my hope is that while I'm in Rome with you, we're going to enjoy company for a while together, but also that you're going to help me get to places like Spain. You know, I'm sure that it was Paul's desire to have Rome as his base of operation, just like Antioch was. Antioch was that base of operations where he kept going you know, east and ministering over the Roman Empire there. And he's like, hey, now, Rome, you guys can be my base of operations as I start to go farther west and I get out to Spain and, and those areas. But before Paul makes a journey to Rome, he says, there's something I need to take care of first. I want to come, but I can't come yet because I have another place I'm already committed to going to, and that is Jerusalem. And the reason I'm going to Jerusalem is because of the Gentile churches. There's been churches in Macedonia and Achaia. They, they gave me money for the poor in Jerusalem. At this time, there was a severe famine in Jerusalem. The believers there were starving to death. 
And so these Gentile believers from these different countries, they gave money to Paul to take it to Jerusalem to help the poor and the needy from this famine in um, Jerusalem. And so Paul's saying, hey, I want to go there. I want to finish this. I want to ultimately bless those Gentiles that they would get fruit from their giving. And then when that's done, I want to come to you guys. And when I get to you, then I want to go out to Spain. And he's got this future plan, but it's all connected with his calling. Hey, I'm going ultimately to Jerusalem now because I'm fulfilling this calling to my ministry, to the Gentiles and what they've done. And when I come to you, it's going to be great to see you, but I'm not going to stay for long because I want to go out to Spain and I want to continue to go to the places where no one has heard the gospel. I think it's important for us to note that the travel plans that Paul had were mainly influenced by the ministry calling that God gave him to the Gentiles. That's why Paul hadn't gone to Rome yet. That's why his plan to go to Rome in the future in Spain is all the way that it is. Paul's third philosophy on how to minister to the Gentiles was make sure your plans coincide with the ministry that Jesus has given you. You know, when you're seeking to make plans, you're deciding what you're going to do, where you're going to go, how you're going to do it. As believers, one of the main things that we should keep in mind is, hey, what has God called me to do? And I want to make sure that wherever I go, whatever I do, it coincides with that. It's not just about where can I go make the most money or where can I go that has the best weather or where can I go with all these different things that the world often makes choices based upon. But for us, it's like, well, where can I go to do what God has called me to do? That should be the thing that is going through our mind as we're deciding these things and planning these things and, and realize as well, as we make these plans, God can change them. You know, Paul, he had a plan to, you know, travel over to Rome and, and that be his hub and then go out to Spain, but that didn't work out that way. You know, he gets to Rome as a prisoner, uh, not quite as he was anticipating. We're not quite sure if he ever did make it to Spain or not. Um, so, you know, this didn't work out like he wanted, but yet his plans connected with the ministry that God had given to him, and then he ultimately had to trust God to fulfill those things the way that God wants to. The fourth philosophy that Paul had in ministering to the Gentiles is in verses 30 through 33 as this chapter ends. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul concludes this chapter, concludes his thoughts on his ministry to Gentiles with a, a, a desire asking the Roman believers to pray for him. And notice he uses two very strong words in this request for prayer. The first word he uses, beg. I beg you guys to pray for me. You know, beg is something that you use when you see something that's very important. You see it's very valuable to you. People that are starving often beg for food or beg for money to buy food because they realize, I'm starving and that this is so essential for my survival. I beg of you to give this to me. I desperately need it. I love the fact that that's how Paul sees prayer. 
I beg of you to give this to me because I realize as I do ministry, I am in desperate need of your prayers. Just like I'm in desperate need of food for sustenance every day, I need your prayer to spiritually help me do what God has called me to do. Is prayer something that you see as so important in your life that you would beg for it? Do you see that without it, you're in bad shape, that you are in desperate need of it, and that you truly would beg others to pray on your behalf because you realize how important it is to you? The second strong word that Paul uses here in his request for prayer is strive. Strive together with me in prayer to God. The Greek word translated strive means to labor fervently for something. Paul not only knew of the power and the importance of prayer, but he also knew that prayer is something that can be hard. It's something that takes an intense labor, a fervency from us, and and we want to ask people who are actually going to do it. Hey, you know, please take the time to fervently pray for me. You know, when Jenny and I were missionaries in Scotland, you know, we knew, for the most part, a lot of people who would just say, oh, we're praying for you, or we're going to pray for you, and, and probably for the most part, those people didn't pray very much, or, you know, maybe here and now, they, they would throw up a prayer our way, but we had a group of people, and we would know they're praying for us, because every time we would visit the States, they would ask us, so how's this person, how is this situation, how's that, because we sent these prayer requests And they've been praying. And they're just like, hey, we know that they're actually interceding for us. And it's just such a wonderful thing when people are willing to say, hey, we're going to intercede. We're going to do it. Yeah, it takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. But we love you enough that we're going to do that on your behalf. Charles Spurgeon said this about the importance of praying for others. The word strive comes from the same root word for agony that is used of the anguished prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus asked His disciples to agonize with Him in prayer, they failed at that critical moment and left Jesus to struggle alone. We must not leave our ministers and leaders to struggle alone. It reminds us of Kerry, who says, When he goes to India, I will go down into the pit, but Brother Fuller and the rest of you must hold the rope. Can we refuse such a request? If we did... Would it not be treachery? One of the most important things that we can do for other believers is to pray for them. And sadly, so often people make that request and say, please do that. And we're the ones who are kind of like the disciples in the garden and saying, well, I'm just going to sleep or I'm going to do something else, but I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to come through for you in that area. And notice what Paul asked these Roman believers to pray for. Three things. First, that he might be protected from the unbelievers in Judea. Second, that his service for Jerusalem might be acceptable to the saints. And third, that he might be able to come to Rome with joy. And notice that Paul's requests for prayer are connected with the ministry that God has given him. I I really ultimately asking for you to pray for me that I can continue to do what God has called me to do. God's called me to take money to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. But you know what? There's unbelieving Jews there in Jerusalem, and they want me dead. All these cities that I've gone to, these are the main people that have caused me problems, and I'm going to ask for you to pray for my protection. Because I realize as I come to Jerusalem to fulfill what God has called me to do, there's going to be people there who are going to come against me. 
And so I'm asking you to pray that God would protect me from harm. Paul also wanted the giving of the Gentiles' money to the Jews to be something that bore fruit among the Jews in Jerusalem. Many of the Jews in Jerusalem were struggling with the reality of Gentiles becoming Christians, and and this was just a wonderful thing that Paul can say, you know what, you're suffering, you're in need, and look, here are these other believers in Christ. They're Gentiles, but they love you, and they want to meet your need. He was praying, I want to see fruit from this. I want to see these Jews realize that these Gentiles are also equal brothers and sisters in Christ and, and that they can bless them. So he says, pray. Pray that there would be that fruit. But Paul also wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to visit the believers there. He wanted joy to be in that time. And so he prays that they, he might be able to come. If it's the will of God, I really have that desire. I'd love to see you guys. Paul's fourth philosophy on how to minister to the Gentiles was ask other believers to pray for you, especially in the ministry that Jesus has given you. If you want to be effective in reaching people, you want to be effective in reaching people with the gospel, you want to be effective in reaching people from different cultures and different backgrounds and different nationalities, you need prayer. You and I, we're not capable in of ourselves. We need to depend upon the power of the Spirit of God. But we also need to realize we're not in this alone. Even if you are the one standing there in front of that person, you know, maybe it's a family member or someone at work or whatever, you know, you're not alone. You might be the one proclaiming the good news. Not only do you have the Lord with you, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, but you have believers who can fight the battle with you in prayer. But you know what? If they don't have a clue that you're doing this, or if they don't have a clue what you need, then they're probably not going to pray for you because they don't know. So you have to be like Paul saying, hey, pray for me in this area. I am doing this, and, and I'm trying to reach out to this family member. I'm trying to reach out to this coworker, or I'm trying to do whatever it is, and I would love your prayer. And I'm actually going to, I'm planning on Monday, I'm going to go share with this person, please be praying for me and realize that you can have other believers fighting that spiritual battle with you. You don't have to do it on your own. Now, I think something is important to note here because Paul asked for these specific three requests. And you think, man, Paul's a pretty godly guy. He already said that these believers in Rome, they're they're doing pretty well. So surely if Paul's praying this and these believers in Rome are praying this, then all these prayers would have been answered just like they asked them to be. So were these prayers answered? Yes, they were. But probably not the way that Paul and the believers in Rome expected them to be answered. And I think this is important for us to realize. That when we pray, we have certain expectations that we think, all right, I'm praying this and I'm expecting this type of answer to come. But that's not always how it works out. That's not always the will of God. That's not always how God intervenes and moves. And we got to be willing to pray specific things and realize God can move in a way that we don't expect. God is ultimately in charge here. I'm not the one dictating these things to him and forcing him. I'm just letting the need be known, asking that he would move, and trusting that he will move in the best way possible. Paul's first prayer was that he be protected from the unbelievers in Judea. Now, if I was praying that prayer, I would be thinking, you know what, that means no bodily harm. All right, Lord, I want to be completely protected. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. Well, Paul was protected, but not in that sense, because as he's getting beat, 
They're wanting to kill him. All of a sudden, the Roman commander of the garrison comes in, steps in, pulls Paul out, doesn't know what's going on, you know, and then, you know, he's the one that God uses to keep Paul from getting killed. So he's protected from death, but he's not protected from a beating. And so often we think, well, <laughs> Lord didn't answer that prayer. Well, well, actually, he, he, he protected Paul, just not quite the way that Paul and I'm sure the Roman believers would have expected. Paul's second prayer was that his service might be acceptable to the saints in Jerusalem. And that prayer was answered you know, pretty much as they probably would have hoped and prayed for. And, and the Lord moved through that. Paul's third prayer was that he might be able to come to Rome with joy. And once again, this was not the way that they probably thought. Paul thought, hey, I'm coming to Rome like I go to every other city. I'm going to get on a boat or I'm going to walk or I'm going to travel in this way or that way like I have been doing. But that's not how Paul gets to Rome. He got an all-expense-paid trip to Rome with a 470 Roman soldier escort. But the escort had to come with him because there were people who vowed that they would not eat or drink until they killed Paul. And so God used this Roman escort to get him to Rome safely. And there was a lot of things on that journey that didn't go well. So God answers our prayers, but he does it in his own way, in his own timing. And oftentimes it doesn't fit with our expectations, but we need to be content with that and trust he knows best. The thing I really want you to take away from what we see here in Paul's ministry to the Gentiles is that Jesus always came first. That was kind of what drove him in ministry period, whether it was to Jews, to Gentiles, to anyone. But, but Jesus was kind of the heart of the reason why Paul did what he did. And you can see it in the four philosophies of ministry that he has. He didn't take credit for what Jesus was doing and in through his life. It was all about Jesus. I want people to be focused on him. I want him to get the glory. It's not about Paul. It's about Jesus. Paul kept traveling to new places. The gospel hadn't gone because he wanted to see more and more people get to hear about Jesus. Oh, Jesus is so wonderful and great and life-changing, and I want to make sure as many people as possible hear it, because Jesus was at the heart of it. Paul made his travel plans based on the ministry Jesus gave him to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. Hey, I could choose to go where I want and do what I want, but I'm not going to do that because ultimately I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. What he desires and what he's gifted me and what he's called me to do is what's most important. And Paul asked for prayer to help him to fulfill what Jesus called him to do. Even his prayer life was all about, what does Jesus want from me? And may I ask others to intercede for that as well. When it comes to ministering to people, especially people of a different background than you, you know, the main thing is to keep the focus on Jesus. Keep the focus on sharing the gospel of what Jesus has done. Keep the focus on doing what Jesus has called you to do. Keep the focus on pointing people to Him and not yourself. And if you do that, you're going to be effective. You'll be effective in ministering to people regardless of the different background, the different race, the different nationality, different social status. If Jesus is the focus, the gospel goes forth, he's the one getting glory, you're going to see God use your life to impact those he brings into your life. You know, one of the best ways that we can keep our focus on Jesus and to do what Paul does at the beginning here, I wrote this letter for you to remember these truths. Well, Jesus says something similar. I want you to take communion to remember me, to remember what I've done for you. 
And so I want to finish this morning together just remembering what Christ has done, because that's really at the heart of all of this. What Jesus has done for us, what Jesus did to sacrifice himself is ultimately what should motivate us. It's ultimately the message that we want to proclaim to others. That should be the thing that drives us. That should be the thing that we stay focused upon. And that's why Jesus says, hey, regularly do this. Remembering me, remembering my sacrifice, remembering what I did for you. Because so often we can get caught up in serving God and missing the point. Doing for God and missing, wait a second, why am I doing this? Who is this for? What's the ultimate purpose and goal? And as we keep coming back to Christ, we keep coming back to the cross, we keep coming back to who He is and what He's done, it's such an important thing for us to get back with the right perspective, the right focus as we seek to serve the Lord and what He's called us to do. And so, can I have the worship team come on up? We're going to go ahead and we're going to pass out the communion elements. And I'm going to encourage you just to hold on to them. We're going to take them together. But as we just take some time as the worship team leads us in a song of worship, I just want to encourage you just to come before the Lord. If there's any issues, sins, things in your life that you have yet to confess to the Lord, I encourage you to do that now. As we remember His sacrifice for us, as we remember what He's done for us, I would encourage you to just... Bring those things to Him. Ask for His forgiveness. Thank Him for His sacrifice for you. And just hold on to those elements and I'll come back up and uh, we'll partake of those things together.